it's so lovely to be here. Um, in case you don't know me, my name's Amy. Wonderful to meet you. Um, a real joy, um, as always, to get to come and share and speak this morning. Um, so we're continuing in our theme of exploring practices for our lives, for living like Jesus. Um, wonderful things to, to kind of put into place to enable us to live more like him. Um, some of you might know, um, not quite 20 years ago, just, just less than 20 years ago, um, Adam and I were part of the church then. I was actually the youth worker um, at that point, um, which was wonderful. And at that point, I was young enough to be part of the 20s group of the church. Um, and I really remember, I really vividly remember being in that group. And, and um, we chose to work through together um, a great book. Let's see if this works, Pam. Oh, no. Turned it on this time out. <laughs> Didn't turn it on earlier. It is actually on. Sorry, Pam. Are you able? Thank you. Oh, that's um, Anyway, we were working through a fantastic book. This book, um, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, it's very old now because we read it 20 years ago, but it's still brilliant. I encourage you. It's one of a really good read if it's something you're kind of looking at and thinking of exploring. You've not read it. Um, so this book has a chapter on simplicity. Um, and um, I just think it, it sums it up really, really well in this tiny, short, little sentence that just summarises it so completely. It says that simplicity is an inward reality resulting in an outward lifestyle. It's, it's an inward reality resulting in an outward lifestyle. So what we think, what we feel, what we prioritise, what we kind of make our inward reality is what then affects and what drives how we live in the world. And that's what leads to our outward lifestyle. I do think that we allow sometimes um, some of those um, inward realities, um, they can become almost subconscious. We, we perhaps build things, we put things in place not completely intentionally, but, but subconsciously, unconsciously. Sometimes I do think we might become a little bit blind to the things that we build our lives on. And actually, sometimes it's those things that end up fueling the complexity or increasing the busyness or creating the pressure that we feel. And I know for me, um, this is something that about a year ago I started to realise and I started to sort of really take note, actually, I'm, I'm creating some of this. I'm, I'm allowing some of this pressure that I'm feeling. And I, I had to make some changes and that's still an ongoing work in progress, um, as I'm sure it is for all of us and, and probably will always be. Um, but, but I want to, kind of this morning, really try and think about that. What are those inward realities that are affecting how we live? So, what does simplicity look like? What is God asking of us? And um, as always, the Bible is very, very helpful. Um, and so, uh, we've had two great passages from uh, Hebrews and Micah. Perhaps two chapters of books, sorry, you're not that as familiar with. Um, uh, these are two very good chapters from those books, but they're good books as a whole. And we always encourage you to, to find out more about them. We're going to focus in Micah. Um, Micah is one of the Old Testament prophets. Um, he's not one of the kind of big major ones like Isaiah, and um, he's one of what they call the minor prophets, and um, so it's a bit of a shorter book. Um, but he was around about the same sort of time as Isaiah, towards the end of Isaiah's prophecy, was kind of overlapped with um, Micah. And like pretty much most of the prophets, Micah was prophesying to Israel who had turned away from God, and he was calling them back, calling them back to repentance, calling them back to all that God had for them. 
And we get to chapter 6 that we've heard read this morning. And this starts with God speaking out the case against Israel. It's almost set up as if it's almost like in a courtroom and God is kind of coming to them and going, hang on a minute, like, I'm going to set the case here. I'm going to set out my case. Um, and so uh, this is the kind of those few verses. And he starts by saying, what, what have I done? Like, how have I burdened you? Come on, answer me. Like, God is genuinely like, saying, come on, what, what is going on? Because actually, he then kind of reminds them that actually he's done... He's done nothing wrong, and in fact, he's done a very significant amount of right. Um, and um, and, and kind of reminding Israel, I bought you out of Egypt, I redeemed you, and yet, and yet. And, um, and then the next couple of verses, we have uh, Israel's response, and um, it's four questions, four questions that Israel kind of sort of turns back. And he says, uh, you know, what, with what shall I come before the Lord? And it, and it increasingly becomes more ridiculous these four questions. So it starts with Israel sort of saying, well, I'll bow down before you then. Oh, well, I'll bring some burnt offerings then. Oh, well, do you want thousands of ram and 10,000 olive oil? And then it kind of gets to this point where it's, well, I'll just give you my firstborn then. And it, it's, it's like a kind of petulant child. Israel is like this kind of resentful, bitter, like, well, look what you've, look what you've done. And so what, like, I can't do anything right, can I? I don't know about you, but I can really hear myself in this. That kind of petulance of like, kind of, I'm, I'm cross, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated. My life is not going as I want and I'm feeling the pressure and so I'm going to get really, really annoyed and blame it on you, God. And, um, which I think is just ridiculous, I feel like, but I definitely know that I have a tendency for this. And I do think, I think most often, most often, those feelings of frustration or of anxiety, stress, pressure, those, those things that complicate our lives um, and we end up kind of so frustrated because we're too busy or we're too overwhelmed um, and you know, most of the time they're, they're of our own making. Now not always, I completely want to recognise that there are sometimes genuine struggles of life that come through illness or bereavement or, or tough times. They're not in our making, I'm not claiming that they are. But I think we all recognise those things, those things that we have structured our lives around that kind of mean that we're left with no breathing space, we're left with no wriggle room, kind of to, to kind of, you know, we, we, we pushed ourselves to the limit and we end up wrung out and fed up and frustrated. Now the next verse in this passage in Micah is very famous. I was spoiled for choice of what kind of image I could have used to, to share it. And it's often, you know, it's posters, t-shirts, this is, this is great stuff, really, really famous, really, really good. Um, but it's really simple, really simple. And it says, what, 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 do you, what do you require? You know what it is. You know what it is. It's not 10,000 gallons of olive oil. It's these three simple things. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And this is the simplicity that we're called to. And I believe it's these three things that outwork what Richard Foster was saying when he says an inward reality that affects an outward lifestyle. So the first couple, uh, justly love mercy, that's how we live in the world. That's the outward bit. But it's based upon that inward reality of our humble walk with God. Walk humbly with your God. And um, so I, I think I see like justice and loving mercy, almost as sort of t twin pillars 
twin pillars reaching out to the world, or our two arms kind of reaching out into the world. It's what we stand for in our lives. It's the things that, that we allow ourselves to prioritise, the things that we do. But those two things are justly love mercy. They must be built on a strong foundation, a deep, deep foundation of our humble walk with God. Now I think that justly and love mercy, they're almost, they're really they're just two sides of the same coin. They're sort of a summary and an encompassing of all the values of God's kingdom of, of justice, compassion, of grace, mercy, hospitality, generosity, love. These are the things of God, these are the things that the Bible shouts loudest about, and the things that Jesus speaks most often about, the priorities of God's kingdom. I was very, very glad to be here last week and hear Catherine speak on hospitality, speak on um, biblical hospitality. And if you weren't here, um, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Um, because I think what she shared last week was a really depth, um, deep and rich insight into that loving mercy into that sort of second on this list of three. Um, so I'm not gonna repeat all of that, <laughs> um, um, but it's so key, and I really encourage you to listen to, to what Catherine shared last week if you weren't here. Um, I'm gonna focus a little bit on that. What does it mean to act justly, to act justly? A few weeks ago, I was part of a discussion with a few um, wonderful people, who some people were kind of charity, leading charities, others were leading churches, um, and we were just together to talk about um, how does the church engage with the world, and, and particularly on how do we care for the most vulnerable, how do we help those in the most need. And it was a brilliant discussion, really moving, um, but, but one of the sort of threads that ran through this discussion that we were exploring was what is the difference between justice and charity? What is the difference between justice and charity? And this really, really challenged me. And um, it, it, it was basically sort of saying that well, charity, don't be wrong, is a very, very important thing. And it, unfortunately, we live in a world that does need it. And, um, and, and it's great. But mostly, charity is about doing something to people or for people. Whereas justice, is about doing with, or, or better yet, it's actually about increasing the agency of the people who need it to, to create a more level playing field, to enable them to, to, to be able to do and be and, and be all that they should be. As an example, I think if you think of food banks, which are, please hear me, brilliant, brilliant in what they do and sadly necessary. And, that, and it is a really good thing, isn't it, to, to donate a box of cereal and to know that that's going to get to someone who needs it. That's so good and it's important. But actually, wouldn't it be more just to be able to enable a world, to create a world where someone can go in and choose whatever cereal they want and have that ability to make the choice themselves? Now, um, if you know, if we could be part of creating a more fair and just and equitable world where everyone can access you know, to make that choice. And I think true justice is about enabling more people to have choice, to have dignity, to have agency. And this is all stuff, actually, I think I really mostly take for granted. And, um, I, you know, this week I've been reminded again of my level of privilege and the, the, the life that I live in the position that I am as a straight white woman with the level of financially, financial security. You know, I'm, I'm pretty high up the privilege ladder pretty high up the ladder and I'm sure many of us here are too. Um, and 
And I think to act justly is about doing whatever we can to kind of smush that ladder all a bit closer together, or better yet, destroy the ladder and get rid of it. And it's about using that privilege to, to on behalf of other people. You know, to even be in this position where I can give a talk on simplicity and encourage you to make choices in your life that will enable you to live more simply, that's hugely privileged. Hugely privileged that we're able to do that. Immensely privileged. To have privileges, to have choice, to have choices, to have privilege. And I think we need to realise that. I need to realise that. And that we need to respond to God's call to act justly, to love, mercy, and so the choices we then make reflect his kingdom priorities. And it's about a lot more than charity. You know, Catherine um, mentioned last week the idea that actually sometimes we think a hospitality box gets ticked because we've had our friends around for tea, which is, again, a great thing, good thing. Definitely do that. But that, that's not quite what real biblical hospitality is. And similarly, you know, we might think our justice box gets ticked because we give a little bit to charity or we donate a box of cereal. And that's still good too. But it's not quite doing the fullness of what God is calling us to. You know, charity and, and fellowship with others are great good things and, and great for doing those. But the Bible shows us how true justice, true compassion true hospitality, true mercy, they're actually mostly about proximity. They're mostly about kind of coming close. Hospitality is loving the stranger and justice is about using our privilege for the sake of other people. It's about proximity. It's about letting ourselves get close enough to see the injustices and to see the need and to realise we need to be part of making it different. And we see this in how Jesus lived, but I think we mostly see it in the fact that he lived at all. Like, there's no greater, closer act of proximity than the great God of heaven coming and living among his people. And then, not just kind of living among them, but, but, but living there, taking our punishment, sacrificing his life on our behalf. You don't get closer than that. You don't get more proximity than that. And I think for us to act justly, to love mercy, it's about letting ourselves get close enough, letting ourselves feel enough, and going beyond our comfortable spaces and getting close enough to actually catch a glimpse of where we need to respond to enable God's kingdom. Now, I do realise <laughs> there's an irony to using the first half of the talk on simplicity to talk about more of something, <laughs> to talk about doing an extra thing, doing an extra kind of thing. And actually, I know, act justly, gosh, that doesn't sound simple at all. It just doesn't, you know, that just sounds complicated and it sounds messy, and it sounds consuming, and it sounds heart-wrenching, and it is. And it is. But this, remember, is the outward bit. This is the bit of kind of the interaction of how we are in the world. And the heart of simplicity is where that comes from. The heart of simplicity is the inward reality, the foundation that it's all built on. Actually, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly. That's where it all starts. That's the absolute foundation that we can then build those pillars upon. If you can move on to the next slide, Pam, that would be fantastic. This walk with God, this walk with God echoes throughout scripture. And it starts in Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve walk with God in the cool of the evening. And it goes all the way through Revelation 21, where there's an invitation to walk through the gates into the city of our God. 
This is there all the way through. Walk humbly with your God. And perhaps it's the most significant kind of call when Jesus says, come follow me, walk with me, walk my way. And it's simple. <laughs> and honestly, I do believe if we can truly seek to do this one in our lives, then the rest will happen. Because we'll be in such close connection with God, proximity with him, that actually then our priorities and what we do and what we live for becomes just a, just a natural outworking, just like Richard Foster said, the inward reality creates an out, outward lifestyle. But the problem is, so much of the stuff of life, the complexity that we let in, the priorities that we establish, all that stuff gets in the way of the humility, of the humble walk. Just want to spend a few minutes just going back to Genesis. And it's always good just to remind ourselves of that story at the very, very beginning. And God creates Adam and Eve, he places them in a garden. And there's this kind of beautiful, perfect glimpse in those early couple of chapters of the Bible of, of what things should be like, how things are meant to be. There's perfect relationship, perfect connection, simple, simple perfection. And it talked about God walking in the garden, walking among them, walking with them. And it's wonderful. It's totally wonderful. Now Genesis 2 ends with a verse. If you just move on to the next slide, Pam, there it is. It's, it's an interesting verse. This is the final verse of Genesis 2. The man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. And so this verse is about lots of things. It's not about kind of nakedness, sexuality, or that. It's about being free. It's about being so secure in who we are in God that there's no shame. There's no, there's no anything else. It's just God. It's just security and freedom in him. And then we have Genesis 3, and unfortunately, load of stuff, sin, comes into the world, and it starts to block this. And this is the first thing that happens. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The first thing Adam and Eve do when sin comes into their lives is cover themselves up. They add something on. They're no longer comfortable in their own skin and the security, their identity, who they are in God. They have to add something to it. They have to put something on. And suddenly they, their perspective has been skewed and no longer are they enough as they are. They feel the need to add to God's already perfect creation. And then, when God comes walking in the garden looking for them, they hide from him. They hide from him because they, have, they feel shame. And that perfect relationship is broken because of this stuff that's been added on through sin. And I think that's how it's been ever since, over millenniums. That's how it's been, human beings feeling like we are not enough, just as we are. Feeling like there's a need to cover ourselves and put on a load of unnecessary stuff instead of feeling content and secure in the identity that God has given us. We're continually adding stuff on, covering up layer upon layer, complicating our lives with pressures and priorities and finding our worth in achievements or in possessions or in appearances or, or the sense of being needed or, or of, of being busy. And we find our identity in all of that. And we kind of allow all of that to shape how we live in the world and to get us to a point where we feel pressure and we feel overwhelmed and we feel frustrated. And in doing all of that, we're basically saying God is not enough for us. We're saying God is not enough. I need to look somewhere else 
for my affirmation, somewhere else to, to kind of find my worth, find my value. I need to find my worth in my achievements at work. I need to find my worth in how I look or how people see me or my possessions, having the right car. Whatever it might be, we let our, that stuff shape our lives and shape us and shape how we find our value. We're suggesting that God's perfect creation is somehow lacking and we, silly little humans, need to add all this stuff to make us worth anything and it's completely wrong. It's completely wrong because in and of itself, just you, the person that God has made you to be, that's enough more than enough. That's exactly who it is. And if we can find security and contentment in that, then the rest follows. I think there's this question, what are the fig leaves in your life? What are the things that you're hiding behind or, or turning towards for affirmation, looking to for your value? What are you building your identity on? And how are those things fueling the complexity and busyness of your life? What layers are you adding to your beautiful self? I don't know if you've seen them. The, um, the most recent Spider-Man trilogy. Um, there's, um, in the first one, there's a point where, sorry, it's slightly aside, but I just think it's a great example. Um, Spider-Man um, has been given a new spider suit by Iron Man, and it's pretty good. And, um, but then he totally, totally messes up, and there comes this point where Iron Man says to him, I need the suit back, I need the suit back. And, and Spider-Man says, you can't take the suit. I'm nothing without this suit. And Iron Man says, if you're nothing without it, then you shouldn't have it. If you're nothing without it, then you shouldn't have it. Because you are never nothing. Because you are always, always the perfect creation that God has made you to be. So to walk humbly with our God is to get rid of all of that, to take all that away, strip it off, release ourselves from it, and believe that we are enough because we are his. There's a great um, C.S. Lewis quote in, in his book, Mere Christianity, um, and he says, um, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And it's about just changing the directions. We're not all about us, but, but it's not that deep being down on ourselves. But it's about being so secure in who we are in God that we don't need to worry about ourselves at all. Um, speaking of C.S. Lewis, um, to use another Disney example, um, <laughs> the, um, uh, the Narnia series, uh, think of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader if you remember it. Um, and so we have in this book, Eustace, who is the cousin of the original Pevensey children that you'll know from the Rhymerish Mordred. So Eustace ends up in Narnia with Lucy and Edmund. Um, and um, whilst he's in Narnia, Eustace comes across a hoard of treasure. And um, it's actually a dragon's treasure. Um, and, and Eustace is entirely overcome with greed by all that he sees. And he sits among the treasure and he fills his pocket and he dreams of how that treasure is going to make him be someone. It's going to enable him to get all the stuff that he wants. Um, and whilst he's there, he falls asleep. And this is what it says in the book. It says, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, Eustace became a dragon himself. And Eustace becomes a dragon with that greedy, greedy dragonish thoughts. <laughs> message in itself. And then in the book, Eustace tries everything he can to get rid of these scales that have come on him and that he can't do anything. Thankfully, he doesn't have to. 
We've got a clip to watch. I hope it'll work. If not, I'll just describe it to you. Let's go for a pan. We know who we stand upon 
We know what we stand for. We may still have huge privilege in the world, but we don't put our value in it, and therefore we can use it for the sake of others, to lift up others. True humility enables us to look beyond ourselves and live for him, that inward reality resulting in outward lifestyle. So, that question that Micah says, you know, what does the Lord require of us? It is really simple, and yet it's a, it's a life's work. It is absolutely, it's a life's work to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God.